This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vores. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring incident, is Lyle Fulton, and I'm joined, as I hope I always will be, by the absolutely sensational Jackie Vores. Listeners, we're back. We don't want to ruin the magic of things, right? Okay, but it turns out that if you've been listening, as we hope you have been avidly over the last few weeks, the last two or three episodes that you've been listening to, I am going to spoil the magic here a bit, Jackie, were recorded some time ago. So it's really, really good that we are actually back. We are back. It's September and we're back again recording the podcast. Those episodes were recorded some time ago because Jackie, the last time we recorded, you were Jackie Vaughan's single lady. (laughs) Now we're recording the podcast. You are still Jackie Vores, but I'm speaking to a married woman. Jackie, congratulations. How are you? How are you feeling? This fine Thursday afternoon, because we've had to change the timings, but how are you doing? How are you getting on? Yes, all right. All right. I'm shattered. Is it? I realised I was running on adrenaline. So for anybody who's listening who is planning a wedding, I didn't realise quite how much you run on adrenaline in the in the weeks running up to said event and even on the honeymoon you're kind of still adrenaline high because you're kind of like it's all part of the event really absolutely i've sort of crashed down a bit and which is really frustrating for me because as you know and we've been speaking about before we got recording i i really just want to get my gnashes into everything that's going on and i am doing and i have done while i was on on holiday and i shouldn't have done but anyway It is what it is, but I'm happy, very, very happy to be home, happy to be back on the pod again, and happy to be talking about all these things that have been happening since I've been away. Well, lots has been happening, but first things first, it's absolutely brilliant to have you back. You've also, I mean, you've been away on honeymoon, haven't you? And you've kind of, more or less, I can't remember, you did mention to me when I was at the wedding, I was fortunate listeners, fortunate enough to be at the big day. It was an absolutely fantastic day. My wife and I were there and we had a brilliant time, but you've kind of brought, wherever you went, you brought the weather back because also we record avid watchers. I was about to say avid listeners, but we've made that mistake before. Avid watchers of our YouTube channel will see that I'm kind of shining here because it is like 30 plus degrees. It is absolutely sweltering here in the UK. But yeah. I that it was in Mauritius. There you go, Mauritius. There you go. That's, you did tell me, you did tell me it's hotter than it was in Mauritius, but there you go. Brilliant. I mean, Fantastic to have you back. Lots has happened over the last couple of weeks that you've been away, two, three weeks. One particular area of the world, one particular industry in particular, lots of things have happened. And I've actually had, not for the first time, but certainly over the last week, I've certainly had a lot of people message me and sort of talk to me about the fact that we need to do a podcast. We absolutely have to do a podcast on what the bloomin' is happening with football. Football. (laughs) that's one of the best things about being Mauritius I I don't want to do a review of Mauritius or the hotel I was at on this podcast but one of the best things (laughs) that that might be an indication was that you could watch three o'clock football in Mauritius so that was just crazy good and um, I saw the Women's World Cup and I got to watch all the the matches it was just brilliant I really should have been in the sea or on the beach but I was actually in the room watching the footy fantastic absolutely brilliant and you saw, and this is where we're going with this, listeners, you probably know where we're going with this, you saw the Women's World Cup and you saw the Women's World Cup final. And what we really should have been talking about for the 24, 36, 48, 72 hours, week after the Women's World Cup final is how brilliantly 
the English ladies did and how brilliant they played. And actually, the you know, the Spanish ladies were fantastic as well. And the Spanish women's team deserved winners on the day. I have to hold my hands yeah. up and say it. Fantastic goal they scored. Brilliant, you know, advert for the women's game, or at least it was for more or less 100 minutes of play. We should have been talking about that. But instead, what we found ourselves talking about and what we are still talking about, sadly, is the fallout from, frankly, unacceptable, in my opinion, actually, I'm going to go as far as to say despicable behavior from one man, one man who kind of saw yeah, fit. To, you know, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, if you look at all of the. OK, Lyle, why don't you summarize what the crisis, the straw was that broke the camel's back? Love this. I'm going to do my very best. So, listeners, you'll probably know this, but for those of you that don't know, and for our worldwide listeners as well, though, this has been an international story, which I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad it's getting the coverage it is because it's important that we continue to talk about this action and, and what happened. The Spanish FA has a president or had a president. He's been suspended, although he is yet to resign. And that is a big, big part of this story. Had a president. He's suspended by the name of Luis Rubiales. Now, Luis Rubiales is a former Spanish international football player as well he's kind of risen through the ranks much as i hate to say that given the context of what we're talking about has risen through the ranks in the spanish fa to become the president of the spanish fa and before the most significant part of this story even happened on the evening of the women's world cup final where it was being played he'd already disgraced himself somewhat by grabbing his crotch area in celebration of the spanish women's team winning the world cup with you know spanish royalty merely feet away from him including a princess who's like i don't even think she's a teenager yet i mean it was horrific stuff let's be honest with yourselves right but there you go fine heat at the moment i'm not condoning it at all but what made it all the worse compounded it horrifically is then the award of the medals before the trophy lift listeners many of you will know what happened he kisses the women's captain i believe jenny hermoso i think she's the captain of the spain women's team one of the key players one of their key players she kisses her on the lips yeah. he kisses her on the lips like grabs her face kisses her on the lips and in the moment myself included we were like hang on a minute that just what's he doing you can't you can't yeah. do that you literally cannot do that anyway it turns out that then they're trying to celebrate their victory and they do on the pitch and there are celebrations afterwards she does a television interview where I think it was in her native Spain, like, you know, a Spanish television channel did a interview with her where they basically asked her about that moment. And she said, oh, no, I didn't particularly like it. This then grew quite rightly where she said, well, actually, no, at no point did I consent to this. Investigations were opened. There were calls for Luis Rubiales to resign. He then did this extraordinary interview where he, in Spanish, in Spain, where he repeatedly asserted, I will not resign. I will not resign. Jorge Vilda, who, by the way, is the Spanish women's, well, was the Spanish women's football coach. He's no longer the Spanish women's football coach because he's been sacked this week. Uh, and that's another part of the story. Was in attendance at this press conference where I believe I counted from what I could see three women in the room and the rest were all men. He was among the throng of men in the room who applauded his I will not resign speech. The Spanish FA then suspended him. He remained suspended. UEFA, which is the European body that kind of is in control and, you know, administers all football operations around Europe, have opened their own investigation. FIFA have opened an investigation. Jenny Hermoso has filed a suit against Luis Rubiales for what he did. He filed a suit against her a few weeks ago for defamation of character, which was extraordinary because it's 
there for everyone to see on camera. It's just been nightmarishly communicated. It was an awful act in the first place. And it kind of adds to what is just a cluster of terrible communications being exhibited by football bodies, by football teams. We'll get on to at some point. My, I mean, it's increasingly hard to love them. Right, my United, but it's increasingly hard to love them. But that's, I hope I've done that justice in terms of. You have. And I think the thing we want to discuss here is how does football manage to get itself into so many reputational scrapes? It's just, uh, this is, as we were talking about, there are so many different examples that we can talk about over the years of football, which is arguably, using one of Lyle's words, arguably the sport that's most associated with the word entertainment it's the i would say it's the biggest entertainment property sport potentially in the world and so really and and all of these sports men and women are all entertainers as well as 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 athletes and their organizations deal in millions and billions of uh, dollars pounds yen whatever currency you want to talk about and you would think that at some stage they would refine their communications to be able to deal with a crisis and just the you know just the, the way that fa the international bodies that govern football whether it be in our own country, let alone in Spain, deal with this is 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 critical. My view on the Spanish thing is this was a storm that had been brewing for such a long time. And to a certain extent, I think because it was the women's game, it wasn't prioritised as something that could blow up. Hmm, and I think maybe. it was another one of those situations where everybody was sweeping concerns under the table and not dealing with them. So before the World Cup, a lot of the players of the, the Spanish squad didn't even want to play yep. in the World Cup because of the uh, misogynistic and very bad treatment that they were getting from George's George Vil, I can never say the surname. Oh, yeah, Jorge Vilde. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, their coach. Yeah, no, really. Yeah, no. I think I think you're absolutely spot on because, in many ways, yeah, you're so right. I think it's a straw that broke the camel's back, and thank goodness it did. In a way, obviously, an awful thing has happened, but you're so right because the aftermath. Just to give a bit more context, listeners, the aftermath has meant that um, Alvaro Morata, who's somehow, and this is a football opinion, but. Forgive me, listeners who don't into football, but Alvaro Morata, who is somehow Spain's captain now, even though I consider him to be a particularly average football player, but there you are. Um, he came out and denounced Rubiales, denounced the treatment of the women's national team. You're so right. This has been a storm that's been brewing. There were calls for the uh, coach, Jorge Vilda, who is now a World Cup winning coach, which sadly is something we can't take away from him. Uh, there were calls two years ago for him to be sacked after the Spanish national team got knocked out of the quarterfinals of the women's Euros. Um, because they didn't particularly like his training style, you know, his coaching style, what they were doing in training, the exercises they were doing. He was kind of refusing to kind of bow to the pressure of the women's national team. Now, that in essence was a football problem, right? You know, there was obviously there was misogyny attached to some of the coaching. There's misogyny. There is still misogyny attached to how the women's game is viewed, sadly, because even though it's growing exponentially and, you know, the quality on show at the World Cup in particular was amazing, there's still misogyny thrown at, at the women's game. But that was very much a football problem that the Spanish FA kind of buried their heads in the sand over. It's like, it's going to cost too much money to sack him. 
he's clearly putting something together. They're a good team. We'll leave it as a but result. They won. Yeah, and, that's- <laughs> and exactly. But as some of their best players weren't even. That's what's quite scary in terms of the talent that Spanish team has in terms of the women's team. I mean, the Spanish both the men and women's teams are sort of you know they have an array of talent at their disposal but some of their best players didn't even go to the world cup you're right because they didn't approve of the manager the manager then goes ahead and wins the world cup really strange scenes where like they weren't even really seen celebrating with him when they won certain games at the world cup and they barely celebrated with him when they won the final then all this kicks off spanish players said they'd boycott the men's game if he didn't resign the um the the president luis rubiales um i think it it's fairly certain now that the man that they've got in as the temporary president has denounced anything that he did and said that he acted so inappropriately and that he'll be dealt with. I think it's safe to assume that he'll either resign eventually and see sense. I mean, I don't think he'll do no, that. No, pushed, you know. thing. I mean, his, you would think that you, if you're on the world stage and you're the president of the country's football association that should represent the whole country, that this was a time for celebration and a time for real applauding of this immense achievement the Spanish women's football team had done. You would think that the last thing he'd want to do would be take any of the attention away from that great achievement. You would think that the most logical and reasonable thing for him to do is say, I got carried away in the moment. I was so excited. I'm so sorry. But he's not. He's not sorry. He embodies the problem. Mm. It's the physical embodiment of the problem that the women's team are talking about. And he's absolutely underscored and underlined all their complaints just by his reaction to what he's done. If he had held his hands up straight away and said, I just got so carried away. Yeah. Well, I think he might have got away with it. Possibly. I think need to. I think he would have had a rap on the knuckles. He'd have said he'd have been made an example of and uh, other things would have transpired and other things would have happened. Mm. The fact that he has come out all guns blazing and firing shows a couple of things to me. Number one is that he thinks he's honestly entitled to grab his crotch or kiss whoever he likes and and behave whatever way, boorish, loutish, uh, misogynistic behaviour, he thinks is perfectly acceptable. That is the first thing. That's the first really significant thing that he actually thinks that he's in the right. The second thing is his own mother's gone on hunger strike oh well this is just the most her son's being bullied and there's oh. a witch and that just shows you how he's been brought up anyway oh, you know. that in itself is just r- ridiculous but in a way it's actually a good thing because it's brought all these issues up it's helped the the women's football team have their com- very just and righteous complaints heard and it's facilitated, unfortunately, through a horrible event, a series of events, it's facilitated change, which is a good thing. Exactly right, yeah. But here's my thing. It's it's actually a really interesting case because you're looking at a, pers- a crisis around a personality and how you should be coaching and training your people in charge of these huge operations, how they should be coached and trained. We had a wonderful impact 
guru coming in um, and doing a podcast with us. Yeah, uh, Esther Stanhope. Yeah, Esther Stanhope. Yeah. You know, she she coaches people on how to make an impact and how to really you know move themselves in within their organisations. But there are there are people that like you and me that can go into organisations and coach them on actually how you behave, how you behave with the press, how you represent your organisation. And so for me, it's very clear that not only with Rubiales and everybody else, nobody's actually told him how he's supposed to behave because he thinks that he's entirely in the right. It's extraordinary, Um, isn't it? It's really extraordinary. Yeah, and what you're dealing with here as well, which I think you've touched on brilliantly there, is egos in football. Egos, there, there was a saying, and it's thankfully kind of dying out a little bit, but not as quickly as myself in particular hope. There's a saying, oh, you've got to have a bit of something about you when you step on a football pitch or like when you, you're a manager. And like, you know, I've always said, and I've discussed this with friends of mine quite recently, in fact, that particularly it, it, recently it doesn't even really cut it, actually, because it's happened for years and years. I always remember, again, I'm making it about Manchester United. This is a strange tangent I'm going down, but there's a brilliant footballer by the name of Erling Haaland playing straight for Manchester City at the moment. His father, Alf Inger Haaland, used to play for Manchester City as well. He famously was involved in a bit of an altercation with someone I appreciate very, very much and I still consider a legend of Manchester United, a guy called Roy Keane, who's now a Sky Sports presenter and has been a manager in the past, led to an injury for Roy Keane. Roy Keane, a year later when he'd recovered from injury, Manchester United are playing Manchester City, goes in late for a challenge, breaks Alfinger Haaland's leg in two places, puts him out for seven months, basically ends his career. Alfinger Haaland did play football again afterwards, but not anywhere near the level and standard that he used to play before that injury. Roy Keane had admitted in his autobiography, and this was years afterwards, that he did it deliberately. He, he deliberately went out to hurt Alfinger Haaland. Now, he got a ban and a fine. If that had been in the road outside the stadium and it had not been Roy Keane and he'd broken someone's leg in two places, he'd go to prison for assaults and what you're dealing with here is some sort of strange discrepancy whereby things that happen within a football sphere and within football operations whether it be on the pitch on the pitch after a football match just off the pitch because not only are we dealing with egos but we're dealing with assets when it comes to these organizations we're going to come on to talk about potentially just briefly mason greenwood other people of that description other people who've been involved in things like that there's this strange dichotomy between knowing what to do from a legal standpoint and knowing what is the right thing to do and strangely protecting your asset in a way that is totally inappropriate and unethical but because it's what because football as a industry is now worth so much money organizations find themselves between this totally wacky and crazy kind of like twilight zone of acceptability yeah like it's a different it's like a different society or under different rules yeah or, or yeah it is interesting because if you look at if you look at football as a whole i mean football as a sort of it's it's like an old school isn't it we talked to kevin from think fan engagement on a previous po- podcast about the way community works and the way social media works but it's all within this kind of like walled garden yeah. this cultural walled garden of what they they sort of self-police in a way 
And it just means that they haven't, I don't think they've caught up with the way the corporate world works in terms of reputation management, in terms of crisis containment, crisis management, crisis communications. I think football as an industry is almost like its own little kind of weird world. Old boys club. And, you know, years and years ago, you kind of just think, you know, you hear about, I mean, I, I can't, I don't know how we're going down here, but you hear about like the Bullingdon Club, you know, and things like that, where like it was people, everyone knew, everyone knew what was going on in there. And yet like the front facing, you know, situation, the front facing communications was, oh, we just went out for a few drinks and had some food, some stuff got broken. It was fine. But everyone knew, you know, what was going on. And, you know, since, you know, things have come out and football is very, very similar. I mean, you're so right when it comes to kind of corporate lessons they can learn from the corporate world because i mean we've spoken in the past and we've spoken at length in various episodes of the podcast with a number of guests about what it means to put together and plan and then execute a good crisis management strategy and normally that centers on and what is most important is everyone pulling in the same direction and everyone's messaging being clear and everyone singing from the same hymn sheet having a very very clear understanding of what to say what not to say what to include, what to leave out, as it were, being present, being visible, and just tackling the thing head on. We spoke about actually how... there is what it should centre on when there's been an accident or when there's been a victim is the the crisis comms should be very uh, centred on the victim. Yes. And who has suffered within a situation so if you look at the spanish football team it would be jenny who was the victim of this man planting a great big kiss on her and something she didn't want accept engage with but in fact that turned into a great big hoo-ha about whether a powerful man was going to stay in his very you know very powerful and and well remunerated position you know the interesting thing about crisis communications is it should really be dealing with the situation yeah. and not necessarily the personalities around it. Exactly. Everybody pull together to inform the right parties on what is happening around that situation, how that situation is being dealt with and what, what is going on and making sure that everyone is communicated to. And what has happened with that particular situation is that nobody is taking control of it because there were no parameters set in no. the first place yeah. as to what is and isn't acceptable to lead to this crisis. And visibility and he- for the right people as well, isn't it? Visibility, like, you know, they, they gave airtime to Rubiales immediately after the event and yeah. didn't let Jenny Amoso say anything and have her piece on anything. Yeah, she had to release individual statements. In that football world, there were no standards, there were no rules that he perceived that he had broken. And this is what I was saying when we were talking about, was it Philip Schofield when we were talking about, you know, if ITV had said, you don't bring in people, you don't do this, you don't do that, that situation would never have happened. Hmm. If ITV had seen that um, Philip Schofield had nurtured a younger man and put him on a on a fast track through to a job that nobody else could get if they didn't know Philip Schofield, if they if ITV had set rules on propriety and the way you behave and the way you, you know, what is acceptable in terms of what you're judged on 
in having your job and 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 executing your job properly, then all of that situation would happen. Equally with Rubiales, if he had been told that, and I know it sounds basic common sense, but clearly basic common sense doesn't apply to this man. <laughs> if he'd been told that you cannot physically touch and embrace your players. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. And it's it doesn't crazy. matter what sex they are. Could have been a man, could have been a woman, could have been any gender identification you want. It's not acceptable to enter that person's physical yeah. space, grab them and kiss them. So, you know, if he had those boundaries set for him, then he could have been quite rightly. And, yeah, you know, this has been a problem for the Spanish FA for years as well, by the way. This has been a real problem. Like, this is you know, the FA in Spain, though, Lyle. This, yeah. is, this is the problem that we've got right now with um, Mason Greenwood. Mm. So, what are these clubs doing with these young men that they continue to get into the situations where they become front page news around really bad behavior and the clubs are just you know not communicate not handling these situations and there's a sitting on their hands thing as well there's a sitting on their hands so so often because there's no boundary setting there's no environment there's no, no, there's no code training of no, no code of conduct or there is but it's not being administered properly or rather it's being administered in a footballing context so the athletic who i follow brilliant brilliant uh football publication some fantastic journalists there every now and again they release articles about like you know fines and sort of various sanctions that they impose on their players when it comes to the footballing side of their employment you're late for training, you get fined a week's wages, you're late for a team meeting, you get dropped from the game. Marcus Rashford, who, you know, very, very stand-up guy, done amazing things inside and outside of football, was dropped for the first half of a game for Manchester United last season because he was late to a team meeting by two minutes because well, that's sorry, how they impose sanctions. You there, right? yeah. We were talking a little bit about Mason Greenwood. Yeah. This is the, the, the root of the problem. They're all very good about finding people. Yeah, this is it. That's what I was about to say. Making sure yeah. that they're accountable to training well or yeah. doing all these, you know, routine, regular things that we all do as part of our jobs. You know, you're, you're, you, Lyle, I would say, write this article and I want it by this deadline. And if you messed me around and said, oh, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm leaving it, I'm leaving, leave it. Then, of course, you would be censored just the same way as they get censored on the training ground. So somewhere down the line, there are people setting rules for these youngsters, these young stars. Why those rules cannot extend to their conduct, both on and off the field, I have to say, I don't understand. Because these men, ostensibly young men, I mean, now increasingly women as the women's game catches on, but you don't you don't find women up on many rape charges. These young men are being paid 50, 60, 70 grand a week, month, whatever it is. If not more, more. Some some are being paid more. Money yeah. And and are being trusted with that vast amount of money, being run by their clubs, being basically dictated to where they go, what they eat, when they train. I don't understand why that same level of rigor can't be a portion to their behavior and their conduct on and off the pitch. Mm. And the reason I'm saying all this is because this one chap, Mason Greenwood, who is a Manchester United footballer, young guy, 21, 22? 21, I believe, yeah. So very young guy, same age as my stepson, mm. who hasn't really lived much of life outside of football, was accused 
and went to court, I understand. I think there's some pre-hearings, yeah, but this was this is where he's very... He was arrested, he was, he was interviewed, he was charged with serious sexual um, and coercive, I think it was sexual assault and coercive rape of his ex-partner. The charges didn't hold. He was acquitted. When he was fully exonerated, is still, for me, quite a murky thing. But he did himself admit that he had behaved badly. Now, my my view is that, you know, these things happen. Bad things do happen. But a lot of them can be prevented. And I think especially when you've got young men and young women being brought up in such a highly charged, disciplined, tense, anxious environment as as international and national football is, that it is incumbent on those clubs who have these very valuable assets to try to help them understand the importance of their role. Now, somebody like Marcus Rashford uses his platform to do good for for charity. For um, he 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 led the the charge to give free school meals and got as far as speaking to the government yeah spoke to the government um during wasn't it during lockdown when children weren't weren't eating properly because they were so used to getting their meals from from school so marcus rashford uh, used his platform to try to get awareness for for that problem that was happening in our society so there are footballers young men young women who do a lot of good with their platforms. And then there are other ones that have been using those platforms. And we've seen this time and time again. This is nothing new. This yeah. is something that needs to be addressed and never is by the football community. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Getting into trouble over sexual assaults and yeah. really bad behaviour towards women. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't understand why it, it is constantly dealt with like it's a surprise by these organisations. And that's where I was going to head to, actually. You've raised a really interesting point that I actually hadn't, well, I suppose I had thought of in the past, but not to its fullest extent, which is that actually someone like Mason Greenwood, who has been this kind of prodigy kind of talent, was picked up by Manchester United when he was 11, 12, maybe, maybe younger, what happens is, and I've again read articles in The Athletic and other publications, is that apprenticeships, which is what they are essentially, for footballers start around 15, 16. So they take young footballers away from school, more or less. I mean, they're, they're still in schools, to the best of my knowledge, but they're kind of in school as kind of a cursory thing. You know, from 15, 16, they're in school because they have to be by law, but mm. they miss like, they, they do like half days and some days they just don't even go and they train. And they train at Manchester United and they train at Manchester City and they train at Chelsea and they train at Tottenham. But what they what these football clubs then have to do is they then have to educate them. So they have to then provide schooling, essentially. When you're 14, 15, 16, they provide schooling. There's a wider conversation to be had here about education and things like that. How our education system lets young people down in general and how that then translates to people then being bad people and doing bad things. But you're right. You know, footballers, there is a high concentration of footballers who end up in trouble legally and you can't help but wonder whether or not it's because they're not ha- they're not involved in a structured educational system from when they're 14, 15, 16, when we can get scientific and weirdly biological about it, when these are just... Is this preventable? Is this behaviour something that... Yeah, it is, I think, in my opinion. ...preventable by the, the clubs themselves because yeah. they are dealing with young people who they're bringing up 
and in loco parentis. But equally, my big thing is the way they handle it when the wrong happens. Absolutely. And it's terrible. It's terrible because actually the point you made then was was really brilliant, which is that and I've spoken with friends of mine about this. I can't even pluck a name because I'm much as I'm encyclopedic about football. I, I also don't particularly want to pluck a name out of thin air because, you know, that would be kind of strangely libelous and things. But say it was, you know, let's keep with Manchester United because I think there's this kind of strange. I even had this thought you know, a few days ago, which I've since changed my mind on, even throughout the course of this conversation. I don't think it's just a Manchester United thing. Manchester United are one of the biggest football clubs in the world. They are, I think, in my opinion, the most reported on football club in the country. It might be because we're run terribly and things aren't going particularly great. And obviously, you know, misery loves company and journalists love reporting on, you know, particularly sports journalists love splashing on the back pages when Man United have been smashed three or four nil, which happened on Sunday. I hold my hands up. But let's ignore the fact that it's Man United and they're a very, you know, reputable football club you know one of the most reputable football clubs in the world is keep it on man united if it was an under 20s player who no one had ever heard of they would obviously still have a duty of care to that individual but this would not be in the press and they'd get rid of him they just they just bin him off but it's the assets side of things and it goes back to this whole idea that, that the football exists within this strange ethical vacuum whereby You'd have to be a monster. Some of them are, don't get me wrong. But you'd have to be a monster as a higher up in a football club to not know that the right thing to do is just to push them out the door, right? Like it, it's just the right thing to do. Accusations being proved or otherwise, there's no smoke without fire. It's the right, the, the right thing to do, both for your brand and most importantly for the victim who's had it all played out in public. You know, it's news stories and things like this. You know, to see justice has been served. It's have a pre-planned yeah. decision on how you deal with that situation. Yeah. Now we've talked a lot about having a process mm. to deal with a crisis because sometimes you don't know what that crisis is going to be yeah so you have a process that you can apply to the crisis yeah and and we've talked at length ad nauseum about how you how you do that process but when you know the likelihood that a crisis will be coming at some stage with highly egotistical ambitious talented good looking whatever you like to describe them as but these young um celebrity football players at some stage you know what kind of crisis that can happen with them yeah. whether they fall out of a nightclub drunk or whether they um you know whether they say something really bad about royalty you know that somewhere just because history consistently repeats itself yeah you know the likelihood of some of these crises happening, and particularly with football, and particularly with the young players of football. And I've had that happen with Brighton, my my team as mm. well. Particularly in that environment, there is a high likelihood that a crisis may come up that involves a man and a woman, yeah, and a sex scandal, yeah. There is a really high likelihood that will happen, yeah, and it's not a surprise, which is no. sad because, as I said. As if you think that that might happen, you therefore chart it back. You can see what you can do to prevent it happening. But let's say you haven't prevented it. You haven't thought about preventing it. You said, hands up, it's not my fault. If they do these things, I shouldn't be held accountable for it. Fair enough. But at least have something there that you're ready to act upon when something like that does happen. Because Man United is a big brand. It's a big business. Huge brand. A lot about protecting your reputation and protecting your brand. So if something goes wrong with one of their players, and if that one of their players is questioned, is arrested, they yeah. should have a 
literally a process that they have followed, that have pre-described and predefined, and know exactly what they're going to say to who. Exactly right. And Manchester United patently have tried to sweep this under the, the under the carpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been accused of it, but that's not our problem. He hasn't been found guilty. Let's deal with it if he gets found guilty of it, because he's our asset and we really want him to play for us. He's really valuable to us on the field. So if he gets found not guilty, great. You know, we're going to carry on and play him. And that was very much what seems to be the attitude that's the only conclusion that you can really deride from their lack of communication lack, their of communication lack of clarity let's make one thing clear as well for context for listeners and viewers who don't follow football as religiously as myself and jackie do and also international listeners who aren't aware of this story we've kind of given context in terms of what the allegations were but let's let's give some wider context here this was well over a year ago that mason green was was, was suspended the club manchester united Alongside a statement from Mason Greenwood, their decision that Mason Greenwood will not play for Manchester United again was communicated just under two weeks ago in August, right? I don't think it was only after a personality, a British media personality, Rachel Riley, got up on her soapbox and said, I'm never going to support Man United again if they let him play. And let's give fuller context. We're going to bring this one to an end because it's bad, but that's super We might have to do a bit of a follow up, but let's give some wider context as well. The Athletic, and I've mentioned them quite a lot, and I'm glad I have because I think they're fantastic. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, some fantastic journalists there. An article was released where basically they had an inside scoop, clearly from contacts they had within the football club, within Manchester United. It had been communicated to them that they were readying a message internally, an internal communique, which was that they were going to reintegrate Mason Greenman into the playing squad at Manchester United. In light of... I told that publication that... Yeah, they basically mentioned that there was, well, there was an allegation that he was going to be reintegrated. It was going to be something whereby it was going to be communicated to the staff, many of whom were then considering their positions at the football club, many of whom were considering whether or not to stay on, whether or not to resign, whether or not to leave their positions. That was a week before the, the official club statement. Manchester United then came out and said, no, we haven't made any decisions yet, but we're in the process of conducting our own internal investigation. Fans galore then went, well, this this communication, this messaging, we're not being spoken to like adults. We're not being spoken to like fans should be spoken to because this internal investigation has been going on for about a year. Again, full context, Manchester United said that they were going to await the outcome of a police investigation. The police investigation was then closed. So I tell a lie, not about a year. The police investigation was then closed, I believe, six months ago, more or less. Certainly it's been this year the police investigation has been closed. And they said, look, in light of you know, the victim not coming forward to appear in court, I think. And also in light of evidence not being substantial enough, we don't think this could be taken to court. So in answer to your question, no, he hasn't been exonerated, but there was no case to answer. He couldn't go to court because they just weren't willing to try him based on the evidence and and various other factors. Manchester United said, in light of the police finishing their investigation, we're going to conduct our own investigation. That investigation has been going on for months and months and months. It turns out the investigation just basically centred on, let's talk to some sponsors, let's talk to our staff, let's talk to the coaching team, let's talk to the playing squad. There was speculation that they were going to speak to the women's team at Manchester United. That was proven false because they deemed that it wouldn't have any sort of direct effect on them because they train in different areas. In my opinion, that's ridiculous. But the women's team came out and denied that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
that was all the investigation centered on. That was all it was. You know, if it's taken well, them, and lots of people, you know, work for Manchester United, but if it's taken them the equivalent of half a year to do that, then I don't know what they were doing and dragging their heels. Loads of fans came out, both famous and otherwise, like you mentioned, Rachel Riley, and said, well, I'm not going to support Manchester United, I don't think, if Mason Greenman is reintegrated. I speculated before we went live that I think actually something was leaked to the Athletic, and it was this sort of strange, you said it was very dangerous, that's as may be, but I do think this is what they did. Some sort of strange PR stunt. Litmus testing through the press. Litmus testing through Terrible the press. It then turns out that a week after that statement was released, we were there was like some sort of strange countdown. Loads of the press had been briefed that there's going to be an official statement at this time. And like clockwork, quite literally, at midday on a day about 10 days ago, Manchester United Football Club released a statement, which was fairly quickly followed by a Mason Greenwood statement saying, it's best that we go our separate ways. Obviously it is. Obviously it is. And, you know, you can have your opinions about that, you know, one way or another. Fine. And it's what turned what is already a very toxic fan base, in my opinion, more toxic, because there are some who are like, oh, I can't believe this. You know, he's been scapegoated, blah, 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 blah. You know, he should be playing for Manchester United. He's a fantastic football player. He's been found not guilty. And there are loads of fans like myself, including him in this, who's like, well, not guilty in this particular realm doesn't mean not guilty. It just means legally not guilty. There's a very, very strong chance, given the evidence that was levelled against him, that, you know, some bad stuff has happened. He himself has admitted that he didn't behave particularly well, but he stands by the fact that he's innocent of what he was accused of. But then it was very muddy. Richard Arnold came out and said, we stand by the police findings. We stand by the judge's decision, but we think it's best that he goes his separate ways. And this is what I want to finish on, the statements. And it was the same with the Spanish FA. We've gone full circle. I don't know what the name of the temporary Spanish FA president is, but he's come in and done some fairly reasonably decent firefighting. But his statement was, we stand with Jenny Amozo, we stand with the Spanish women's football team, and we stand with the England women's football team because their achievements have been overshadowed by this event manchester united statement we stand with all victims of domestic abuse we can't name the victim for legal reasons but we stand with her but we also have a duty of care to mason greenwood to look after him and to look after his career because he's an employee of manchester united those two statements like all statements by football clubs and football organizations have one very very particular thing wrong in common the Spanish statement should have been, we stand with Jenny Himozo. It's a given that it's overshadowed the Spain women's national team's achievements and the England women's national team's achievements, but that's a given. And if you want to pad out a statement, then pad out a statement by saying, we denounce this behaviour. But you said earlier in the podcast, you've got to, your messaging's got to be clear with the victim of... of Absolutely. Those, and and you know, I, mean, I don't actually mind those statements, to be honest. Yeah. I think they're all right. And they're, they're okay, but they're late. Late. It's so late. Late, yeah. And this is my problem, is that they've allowed a weeks, months of chaos to ensue, which has damaged a lot of people's lives, yeah. when a lot of things could have been done in a much better way and in a much more efficient and and palatable way, because it's all been very ugly. Whatever happened in Spain, there's been protests there's been yep. personal assaults on rubiales family there's been horrible things going on equally here um with all of this stuff with mason greenwood you know the, the guy has said himself he was in the wrong but we are not here as judge and jury of that man yeah. neither man united neither is the press um he was 
subjected to our justice system and our justice system didn't act on what was alleged against him. So if we're going to be really brutal about this, he was not found guilty of what he was what he was charged with. But the way Man United let it happen and roll out without having certain standards in place, if you bring your club into disrepute by being arrested, by being charged, you won't be playing for us, mm. whether you're guilty or not. Have because a clear, have a clear, yeah, have a clear have strategy. A clear, no, that's just one idea. Yeah. I mean, they might say that's ridiculous. You know, anybody could get falsely accused of anything. And I get that. I absolutely get that. But they need to have at least some level, some bar where they can actually say, no, yeah, you don't, you don't fit our criteria of being role models for young people. Yeah. And if you're not fitting this criteria, then I'm sorry that is not, you know, and then then they can make their communications. And I know it's 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 unfair and it's foul, but you know, at the end of the day, the club has a brand, the club has a reputation to uphold. They needed to act more clearly than they did. They need to have a, a process and they need to have well, at least a process to deal with it. But they need to think about all the things that actually could happen and will happen and have happened for, t- for you know at a time and time again. Yeah. And what, how they as a club are going to deal with that. And then they would have been much more timely with their responses. Everybody would have known where they stood, including Mason Greenwood. And what's actually happened now when he's gone and got himself another job. So he still does have a footballing career, but it's not in United Kingdom. And hopefully he will have learnt that behaving well will help him in his career moving forward. And hopefully he will never do the same thing to another woman again. But that is yet to be seen. But he has still got his his career. And I don't think, you know, you've got to follow our law. You, you We've got to follow the principles of our justice system. He he was not found guilty. Mm. So, you know, if there are certain people, there are certain people in our society that would hang him out to dry for that. Say, mm. you know, just by having suspicion around him, he shouldn't have a career. I, you know, I'm not sure I like to be part of that mob mentality, but I think I'd like to be part of a more sensible group of people that say okay here are the rules and here are the boundaries and if you go over those boundaries you're not one of us i agree to a very great extent i think there are some people who would sadly say that he obviously has not been found guilty of his crimes i think as i mentioned earlier in the podcast if it was somebody else who wasn't as high profile not even just in the public eye but also as valuable to manchester united in terms of being a prodigious talent we wouldn't even be here because it wouldn't have taken anywhere near as long. But Lyle, this happens every day in in, in normal life. Lots of women report men for, and it shouldn't just be women and men, Mm. lots of people report other people for assaults on them, for sexual assaults on them, and it never gets to court because of the lack of evidence. Yeah, that's it, yeah. You know, that isn't isn't just a football thing, but, but we do know because of all of the history that has gone ahead that this does happen a lot in football and football yeah. should set an example that's it it should well it's certainly it's certainly increasingly setting a bad example isn't it and you know to, to finish this episode where do we stand listeners let's be honest when this episode and i can say this with with 
some authority because this is going to be the quickest edit I've ever done in my life because it's going out this Not week. Right. You're going to be here. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be, you, it's literally going out this week. You're going to be hearing it straight away. We will still stand in the same place we stand today um, as we're recording it. Mason Greenwood still employed by Manchester United. They're paying half his wages and Hetafe over in Spain in La Liga, their, their top division, are paying the other half of his wages. Luis Rubiales is technically still employed by the FA, suspended or otherwise. I imagine he's being paid while he's suspended. I can tell you for sure that Mason Greenwood was being paid fully by Manchester United while he was suspended from football operations at Manchester United. He was being paid an incredible amount of money. He just signed a new deal before all of this came out. They both still have jobs. Should they? Get in touch with this, listeners. Get in touch and 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 let us know. I mean, this has certainly been incredibly divisive, you know, and that is part of a huge problem with football, in my opinion, is this toxicity it creates. Football is a game I love and I absolutely adore. But the advent of social media, and we've discussed how brilliant a tool social media can be. But when I was growing up and watching football and listening to football and following football with my dad, the opinion you got was in the paper or by pundits on the TV. And now everyone can have you know, these extraordinary views one way or another. And it creates this strange echo chamber of some brilliant comment, you know, some brilliant, very, you know, kind of well thought out intellectual comment. And then it creates some catastrophically poor stuff. And I suppose actually that's another good place to end, isn't it? Is that football clubs, football organizations should set examples and should do what they can and do more to prevent these things happening. But also get up to speed with social media. Like, you know, you're huge brands. You're some of the biggest brands in the world. Get up to speed on social media and how big these echo chambers can be and actually sort your communications out, right? Not just with your own employees, but with the fans as well. I've been following this for 18 months because I'm a Manchester United fan. And it was two weeks ago I found out what the decision was. That can't be right. That's that's an extraordinary length of time when all the moving parts are there. You know, it's all it's all been there in black and white for, for a year and a half. You know, police yeah. reports the accusations, the alleged victim, Mason Greenwood himself, you know, it's all been there to communicate very clearly. You've been there to read it in black and white and you've sat on your hands and done nothing until it suited you. And until, you know, there's been a sort of a drop in the ocean where you might be able to get rid of him. Luis Rubiales. You know, yes. It's, it's and, the and, and the taste in the mouth. Oh. The summary is sour. We're not here saying they've done a you know, a really good job of communicating during that crisis. Mm, that's it. Kevin, if you want to come back on and talk all things Mason Green and Lewis Rubiales, we'd love to have you back on. Lewis Rubiales, I don't think I'd like to have you on. Nah, in fact, ignore that. Ignore that. And Mason as well, <laughs> you're over in Spain. But listeners, thank you so much once again for joining us for the latest episode of The Rest is PR. It's so good to be back. Few T's and C's. It's good to be rattling these off as well. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so by emailing us info at the rest is pr.com. And you can also head over to the rest is pr.com for all things the podcast. You can also email us info at demozo.com and head over to demozo.com for all things demozo. Jackie's back from honeymoon. We are roaring into the end of the year with some really exciting things of all things PR here at Demozo. You can also follow us at the rest is PR, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. And you can message Jackie and myself on LinkedIn as well. Jackie, we've got some exciting guests coming up very, very soon. We very have. Ready. I'm very excited. Brilliant. Same time next week. We're back. Brilliant stuff. I'd love to hear it. Love to see it. Thank you so much once again, listeners, for joining us. For the time being, though, from Jackie and myself, have a lovely rest of your week. It's bye for now.